So this morning, um, we have something special for our young people. We have our young people in here with us. If they were here at VBS, we've invited them to join us. So we have these children's notes available. They're available at the door, but if you didn't get them, if you would just raise your hand, young people, and they will hand these out to you. And let me tell you this, if you work on this during, your ser- during the service, and at the end of the service, you come up and show one of the worship team members your notes, they are going to hook you up with a treat. Parents... If you crawl up here with one of these, or hire another child, you may be able to get a treat too. There's lots to go around. So let me encourage you to jump in with that. I am excited uh, and equally intimidated when you do a message that isn't just pointed at adults. Young people being in the room makes it a little more complicated. Young people, let me tell you this. Um, If you're not normally in the room with us on Sundays, this is where we get together. This is where I yell at your parents every week. Uh, It's a pretty fascinating time. Um, I'm excited you're here. I'm excited. Moms and dads, just hear me for a second. The wiggles are okay, right? The wiggles are all right. It's a a healthy energy, and so we celebrate that. So we are are coming off of a week of 300 kids being in this place, over more than 100 volunteers being here, lots of noise, lots of lights, lots of fog, lots of heat. Um, and God was incredibly gracious to us. And so we are thankful. We're thankful for you, moms and dads, for entrusting your kids to us during the week. We pray that as we met with them this week and taught them about Jesus, that you were able to go on a date. Anybody go on a date during vacation Bible school? Dads, you have missed your opportunity. The rest of you, well done. Dads, it's hard being a dad, isn't it? Do, do you remember when you were expecting your first child As a dad, you have no idea what to do. You know why? We don't let our young men babysit. So they are clueless when it comes to babies. We probably shouldn't let our young men babysit because we may lose some babies. But but as a dad, I mean, I've had a conversation with a number of guys who are becoming dads for the very first time and they are freaking out because they have absolutely no idea what to do. And actually what they need to be told is just breathe. Don't, don't allow all the what-ifs to kind of crash in on you. It's not really that difficult. A new baby, think about it. A new baby doesn't do a whole lot. It doesn't run. It, it doesn't lie. It doesn't ask for the keys to the car. It doesn't hang out with questionable friends. Right? A new baby's pretty simple. Basically, a new baby does what? It sleeps half the time. The rest of the time, it eats and gets rid of what it's eaten in a couple of different ways, and it cries, and that's it. But today's culture has made parenting so super complicated. We are super intimidated, we're freaking out. I mean, what if you're a Ford family and your kid likes Chevys? <laughs> what, what, if, what if your kid oh, likes math? What if? What if your kid likes country music? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll let that one go. What if your kid likes the Redskins? See, exactly. Worse, worse, worse than country music, worse than the Redskins. What if your kid likes kale? What are you going to do? And you start freaking out about all the what ifs. Breathe. That's what the young men need to be told before their children are born. Just breathe. 
It's not like all of those need to happen right now. It's very basic. Let's boil it down to two basic things as a dad. First, don't lose your kid. And the second is like unto it, don't drop your kid. So if you pull those two things off as a new dad, you are pretty much set for the first year of its life. And Jesus, in a very different way, kind of does the same thing in our passage this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 22 is where I want you to turn. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus, in a much more effective and meaningful way, takes something that is so big and grandiose and boils it down to two very simple things. And that's what we've been talking about at Vacation Bible School all week long. These two very basic, simple things. So, so just to give you a little background to the story, the Pharisees and the Sadducees have gathered and they're making accusations against Jesus. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to trip him up. And the, the first wave of attack doesn't even come from the Pharisees. It comes from their disciples. So a disciple of the Pharisees comes to Jesus and thinks he has this ingenious way to make the people and the government hate Jesus. And so he asks them a very simple question. Is it lawful for us to give to Caesar his taxes. And Jesus masterfully walks through that, that disciple's question, the Pharisee's disciple's question, and basically says, you give to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God's what is God's. And, and there's no response by the Pharisees. They walk away kind of scratching their head like, ah. and then the Sadducees, oh, the Sadducees have got a great idea. They come to him, and they're like, let's ask him a question about the resurrection, which is interesting because the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. So they're trying to trap Jesus big time. And so they show up and they say, okay, so Jesus, let's say, that this lady is married to this guy. He dies. She marries his brother. He dies. She marries his brother. He dies. She marries his brother. He dies. We're not done yet. She marries his brother. He dies. She marries his brother. He dies. She marries his brother. He dies. Now, first, don't ever leave your laundry out if you're married to that woman. Because something's happening. I would check the food regularly before you even eat it. And they say to Jesus, say, okay, so with all of those men that she married, so when they, she gets to heaven, <laughs> whose, hus- whose wife is she? Who is she actually married to in heaven? Ah, we trapped him. Because he's going to have to say, he's going to have to pick one. Oh, no, the resurrection's just not going to fit. And Jesus goes, <laughs> have you guys ever read your Bible before? There's no marriage in heaven. And the resurrection that you deny, (laughs) man, if you read your Bible, you would hear that God says, I am the God of Abraham, and I'm the God of Jacob, I am the God of Isaac. Do you see those three running around? No. Why? Well, they've died. Where are they now? Alive. See, the God that we serve is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. So the Pharisees walk away, sorry, the Sadducees walk away shaking their head. And it says in our passage here in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, and they came together. So imagine with me for a moment, the Sadducees walking away with their heads down, and now the Pharisees gather together, and they're in a group, and they keep looking over their shoulder at Jesus like, how are we going to get him? How do we do this? I think we got it. I got it. And they decide, this is, this is how we're going to do it. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? Which command in the law is the greatest. See, the Pharisees are trying to get Jesus to speak in a way that's going to make some people upset. 
Because if he picks one of the, and now it's not the 10 commandments law, we're, we're talking about the, the mitzvot, we're talking about the 613 laws that are found in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and in the tradition that follows after that. And he says, I want you to pick just one Jesus and tell us which one is the, is the most important. It's kind of like when you look at mom and dad and say, mom, dad, which one of us is your favorite kid? Now, moms and dads, don't lie, there is one. Hey, kids, you're it, don't trust me. No, no, no matter what happens, there's not a favorite kid. We love all of our children equally. What happens is, is if I was to pick one and be like, hey, actually, I'll pick the one that's not here so the three of them will have to forgive me. I love Jordan most. Well, what's going to happen is the other three are going to be torqued, Right? They're not going to be happy. So if Jesus picks one of these laws, one of these 613 laws, it excludes 612 more, and the place is going to erupt because there's some people who say, no, the most important one is that every person should write a copy of the Old Testament law for themselves. The most important law is you need to honor the the old and wise ones among you. The most important law is that you don't plant two different seeds in the same field, so you never mix wheat and corn. The most important law is that you're not afraid when the battle starts, or my personal favorite out of the mitzvah is this, you're not supposed to eat a worm that's found in fruit. Now, why they needed to pass a law on that, I think it's common sense, but that's found in the mitzvah. So, so as you walk through all these things, you pick one and you're going to alienate other ones, right? But Jesus answers perfectly because he's Jesus. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 says this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. See, this is the greatest and the most important command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Jesus' response to the challenge of the Pharisees, which law is most important, is this. Love God most. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And it's funny, we try to figure that out, right? So what does it mean to love our Lord our God with our heart and soul and mind? A heart, that's that, that fuzzy Valentine's Day thing, right? Like, oh, I love you. And actually, if you look at a heart, it's the most disgusting-looking glob of stuff. But we've got, oh, Love the Lord your God, right? With all your heart, with all your soul. No idea what that means. Let's move on to the next one. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. You're going to use your head. You've got to think. If I think, then I've got to. Gotta, that's not the point. The point is love the Lord your God with every part of you. There's not a part of you that's excluded. There's not a piece of you that isn't supposed to be dedicated to who God is and loving him more than anyone or anything else. Your entire being is to be wrapped up in loving God most. God doesn't just want your Sunday mornings. God doesn't just want your vacation Bible school week. He doesn't just want your Awana nights, your youth group nights. God doesn't just want your community group time. God wants all of us. Love the Lord your God most. And the second is like unto it. Love others best. He says, I want you to to love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, you know the story in Luke chapter 10 about the Good Samaritan where the man asks, so who's my neighbor? 
And the story of the Good Samaritan is pretty simple. A, a fellow was leaving Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jericho, and he gets attacked by thieves and robbers, and they beat him up, and they throw him to the side of the road. And a, and a priest walks by and sees him lying in a crumpled mess on the side of the road, and instead of going to help him, looks the other way and continues to walk. And then a Levite comes, same thing, sees the man in a crumpled mess, walks the other way. And then a Samaritan, of all people, a Samaritan walks by, and see this, sees this person in great need and comes to his aid and helps him and tends to his wounds and then picks him up and puts him on back of his donkey and brings him to the inn and then pays the innkeeper to care for him and to make sure that he is cared for. And if, if any more expenses come, he promises to come and, and make good on those expenses and then pay them himself. So the question is, so who is my neighbor? And the neighbor is the one who saw the person in need and did something to help them. So, so who's your neighbor? Your neighbor is somebody near you who you have the opportunity to help. Who's your neighbor? You're probably not finding people lying on the side of the road half dead. But I'm sure you're going to school and you're finding somebody in your class who doesn't have a lot of friends. I'm sure you walk into the lunchroom and see that one kid who sits all by themselves every day. I bet you you know somebody who gets picked on or gets bullied. Somebody who rides the bus and doesn't look up because they have no friends and they feel all alone. Love others best. You have the opportunity to care for them. That's how you love them best. So love your neighbor as yourself. What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Well, the best way to love your neighbor is, the way, is to love them the way you love yourself. So you care for yourself, right? You brush your teeth, you take a shower, you get dressed, Hopefully you do all those things this morning, right? Okay, so you take care of yourself. You, you, you're careful for yourself. You don't run around the neighborhood and play with that crazy looking dog, right? You don't, you don't grab the, the vicious pit bull that the neighbor has by the tail or the stub of the tail thinking it's just gonna be all warm and fuzzy when it turns around to greet you. You don't play in traffic most of the time. So you are careful for yourself. So you care for yourself, you're careful for yourself. And you want the best for yourself. I mean, come on, if somebody tells you you get to pick whatever ice cream you want, you don't pick an ice cream flavor you don't like. You pick the one you like, right? I mean, you, nobody in this room, in their right mind, who loves Jesus, would ever say, I'd rather have a kale shake than a mint chocolate chip ice cream cone. Right? Amen? Amen! That's right! All right, good, there we go. Kids are on my side. They should be. <laughs> I will intervene for you, children, I promise. Mint chocolate chip is the way to go. The reality is we pick what we want when we get to. That's the way we should serve other people, isn't it? Is we, we should treat them the way that we would want to be treated. We should serve them the way that we want to be served. And so when Jesus is asked what is the most important piece of the law, he says, here it is. Love God most, love others best. The entire law just hangs on those two things. Now, I love God. I love my neighbors. Maybe it's better said, I like God a lot, and I like my neighbor. How can you love God most and love others best? What creates that in you? What makes you love God more than anything else and, and love others the best way you possibly can? Well, if you think about the Old Testament and the, the law, what you find is the Old Testament is filled with stories of how the people 
constantly did exactly the opposite of what God told them to do. He said, don't do that, and they did that. He said, don't go there, and they went there. He said, do this, and they didn't do that. And so they constantly, over and over and over and over again, did the opposite of what God had called them to do, just like us. The Old Testament people sinned against God, and we sinned against God. But God loved us. 1 John 4.10 tells us that God loved us and sent his son. John 3.16 tells us God loved us so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but would have everlasting life. God loved us, and so Jesus came to die for us. Why did Jesus have to die for us? Well, because we've all sinned, there's punishment for sin. And so Jesus came and allowed himself to be punished instead of you. The Romans 5, 8 verse that Amber read, God proves his love for us so that while we were sinners, disobedient to God, Jesus Christ died for us. So let me pretend for just a minute, this is a crazy story that doesn't have, well, you'll get it in a second. So let's say you and your little brother, but I don't have a little brother, let's just pretend. You and your little brother sneak out of your house You go next door where you know your neighbors have fireworks. You should never do this. This is what, never do this. But you steal your neighbor's fireworks and you start blowing things up in your driveway. You should never do this. But you're being disobedient and so it feels so, I'm gonna go blow things up. And when you're disobedient, you're not thinking completely clearly and you forget that mom and dad are inside the house, right? And inside the house, you're outside, you're blowing things up and you're giggling. (laughs) And then mom and dad come out and they see you and they know one, you're disobeying. Two, you're not being careful. Three, this is very unsafe. And they say, you can't do that. Now there's going to be punishment. Oh, punishment. So what I, what I want you to do is I want you to go to your room and you're going to sit there for a couple of hours and think about what you did. And then your big brother who had nothing to do with the fireworks incident, your big brother who was sitting inside reading a book because he's a nerd, comes outside and says, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. I want to take their punishment. Now, as crazy and bizarre as that is, he says, I'm going to go to my room and I will close the door. (coughs) Instead of them being punished, I want to take their punishment for them. And for some unknown reason, mom and dad are like, okay, that's fine. And so your big brother goes to his room, closes the door, and you and your little brother are free. But do you feel free? Maybe you're a little worried. See, as long as your big brother is in his room and that door is closed, you're not sure what's happening. You're not sure if mom and dad are going to change their mind. You're not sure if there's going to be other punishment that's coming. You're not sure if this is some cruel trick that maybe your brother's in his room plotting your disaster. You're not exactly sure what's happening. And so as long as your brother is in, your big brother is in that room with that door closed, you are nervous. You're probably cleaning your room, doing the dishes, making sure the house is nice and neat. All the time, your big brother's in that room with the door closed until mom and dad say, punishment's over, and dad goes and opens the door, and your big brother comes out of the room, and it's never spoken of again. Now you know the punishment's been paid, right? You didn't pay it. Your big brother paid it. And the proof that it was paid is the door's open and your brother's out of his room. 
See, it's kind of a goofy picture, but it talks about what Jesus did for us. See, Jesus came and took your punishment, the punishment that you deserved, and he willingly went to the cross and he died for you. Then he was laid in the grave and they put a great big stone in front of it. And he stayed in the grave for three days. And then on that third day, the women went to the tomb early in the morning and they found the stone was rolled away and Jesus had risen from the dead. And that is a reminder to us of how great Jesus is, how he is the king, how he is so much better than anyone or anything. It's a reminder to us of how Jesus came and died for us. It's a reminder for us of how much Jesus loves us. It's a reminder for us that Jesus is alive. And when you're reminded of the things that Jesus did for you, it reminds you that you're supposed to love him most and love others best. So that's what we've been teaching the children all week long at Vacation Bible School. Love God most, love others best. Uniontown Bible Church, does that sound familiar at all? See, that's what we've been called to. That is the mission of Uniontown Bible Church. It's not, some, not some, some fancy plan or strategy, it's simple. It's to love the one who loved us in ways we can't even begin to explain. And then it's to love other people the best way we know how. And as soon as we put people in front of God, we're not loving them best anymore, are we? Love God most, love others best. There is no greater picture of God's love than this. He sent his son to die for us. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you this morning that we know Jesus came, that he lived. Father, that his death wasn't in vain, and that it accomplished exactly what it was supposed to. Father, I thank you that in Christ we're free, we're forgiven. Lord, I pray that you would remind each and every young person this week of the story of the gospel that they heard, (laughs) that Christ came to save sinners. Lord, I ask for each of us out here at the church, regulars or members or whatever we are, (laughs) Lord, that we would simply remember what it is that you did for us in Jesus Christ. God, as we remember What you've done, we can't help but talk about it. And that's the whole point of what we're about to do. So God, may each and every one of us no longer be silent. Instead, may we exclaim with great joy that Jesus Christ came to to save sinners, and I was one of them. And now, because of his finished work on the cross, I stand forgiven. May we proclaim that and not stop. It's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen.